Well, if we haven't met, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the Chapel Sydney. Uh, if you're joining us online, thank you for welcoming us into your home today. Well, today we get to start a brand new series in the book of Mark. And if you were here with us during the prayer and fasting week at the beginning of the year, uh, you would have noticed that we read through the entire book of Mark. Now, we get to delve a little deeper into the book of Mark. All right. Now, the book of Mark, it might seem like a little appetizer or a little entree, but it's actually pretty meaty. And if you allow it, the book will confront you, okay? And it will challenge you in the way you see Jesus. And so as we do with every new series, we're going to pray over this series and ask God to speak to us. And so let's pray. Let's close our eyes in prayer. Lord, your word is alive. It is active. It pieces to the very core of who we are. As we start this book of Mark, let your living word change us from the inside out. And I ask, Lord, that you would use me as your mouthpiece today. And if you're willing in this place, why don't you take a moment to ask God to open your eyes and soften your heart to his word. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Amen. Amen. Well, about 10 years ago, I worked for a small fruit company. And this fruit company, they didn't sell fruit, but they specialized in selling phones. This fruit company, some of you may know as Apple. So I worked at Apple fixing phones, iPads, computers. And all I can say is that uh, it just stretched my my capacity with people and my, my dealings with first world problems. Now, my tip for all of you, as an ex-genius, is to back up your phones and your computers. Because I promise you, technology will break at some point. Anyway, uh, the, the, the one thing that I'll always remember working at Apple is the day they launched the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus. To this day, it's the most sold iPhone with 220 million sold phones. Now, I've got a photo of um, a place here. This is somewhere in... Apple, around uh, the, I mean, somewhere in the world at an Apple store. Um, what I remember is getting into Chaswood Chase, 5 a.m. I park on the street, I start walking, it's pitch black, and in the distance, I see a couple of people lining up in front of the store. But what I didn't realize was that the line snaked around the whole center. Uh, people woke up earlier then 5 a.m., called in sick to work, lined up for hours just to get their hands on the latest phone. People heard the news of the new iPhone, and it spurred them to action. Okay. Now, just as the launch of the iPhone 6 was a significant event for many people, the book of Mark, it records an even more significant event, a news so massive that it changes all of history. And this news is so important that it has implications for you and me. And the news is this. It's that Jesus has come. The Messiah, the saving one, the anointed one is here. 
Now, you may be wondering why out of all the 66 books of the Bible, why are we going through the book of Mark? And it's because of this one main reason. It's because we as Jesus followers, we have deeply associated every area of our lives with Jesus. It's not just about living his teachings, which is important, but it's believing that he is the answer to every single problem. That Jesus is the center of all of history. That Jesus is the source of hope. That Jesus encapsulates every area of life. And so today, you may have walked in and you're saying, James, I'm not a Christian. I don't think Jesus is the center of my life. Or I just don't know him well enough. Then our prayer for you is that you would know Jesus. We want you to love Jesus. We want you to know him because he is life. And the gospel of Mark, it challenges us. And it reminds us to set our minds on Jesus. Because the more we look to him, the more we see him, the more we'll become like him. I love the old classic hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And it says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that's what the book of Mark is challenging us to do. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Another reason why we're going through the book of Mark is because it's fast-paced. Mark is super quick to get to the point. It's the shortest of the four Gospels. Most likely written about 25, 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So you're thinking about mid-50s, 60s AD, okay? And his favorite word, the word that continually comes up again and again and again in Mark is immediately, okay? Think about how the Gospel of Matthew starts. Matthew begins by telling us the genealogy of Jesus from Genesis. Luke, he begins by telling us the childhood account and birth of Jesus. John, he begins by telling us the creation story. But Mark is straight to the point. Mark is... Mark is like this. He's like, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, he was in the wilderness, straight into it, okay? Mark gets straight to the point. And so for everyone that loves TikTok, Instagram stories, reels, YouTube shorts, if you have an attention span of like a couple of seconds, the book of Mark is for you, okay? And what we also have to remember about the book of Mark is that it's not written for Jewish people, Okay? Mark often explains Jewish customs and terminologies. What does this mean? It means that Mark is writing to people who aren't familiar with religion, people who aren't involved in church, people who didn't grow up in church, people who don't know what it means to be a Christ follower. If you haven't grown up in church, if you've lived far from God, if you've walked in today and you're like, I have no idea what's going on, or oh, this is so foreign to me, then Mark wrote this book with you in mind. So knowing all that, today we're going to look at just two questions, okay? Two questions that arise from Mark chapter 1. And the two questions are this, who is Jesus and why is Jesus here? Okay, who is Jesus and why is Jesus here? And the answer to the first question, who is Jesus, is found in, in verse 1. It says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The key word there being good news, and it refers to the term gospel. 
or in Greek, euangelion. And what Mark is telling us from the get-go is that this is good news. The announcement of the fulfillment of God in all the Old Testament promises, it's here in the form of Jesus. Okay? So straight from the beginning, he's like, guys, this is massive news. This is a significant event. This is going to change all of history. And it's so big that it's going to affect you. When was the last time you received news about something so significant that it changed your life? Maybe it was news about your pregnancy. Maybe it was news about your health. Maybe you just heard that the thing that you've ordered online is coming today and not tomorrow. Who knows? I remember for me, it was in 2014. It was a Sunday. Uh, It was midday. And I remember receiving a call from Ellen, my cousin, who is sitting on the front row here. Um, (laughs) Do you want to stand up? No, it's all right. (laughs) Well, she calls me. And she's like, hey, grandpa's not doing well. Doesn't have too much longer to live. And she's like, you need to rush over to the hospital now. And I remember hearing that uh, and it being so surreal. The grandpa that took care of us. I think I've got a photo of grandpa. Bottom. Yeah, the guy that looks like a grandpa. (laughs) But you know, the grandpa that took care of us, the grandpa that worked with my parents, the grandpa that you know, we had multiple Big Macs with and pizzas with. Um, this grandpa was standing on the brink of eternity, about to face his maker, face to face. Now, was this a massive event for my family and I? Yes. Was this a world-changing event? No. But Mark, in verse 1, is saying that the reason the gospel, the good news, is a world-changing event is because the gospel is about Jesus, the Messiah. The Son of God. So who is Jesus? In John 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh. Jesus is God. Jesus is life. Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the word. And through Jesus, everything was made. Colossians 1.15, it says this, the Son is the, invis- is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In the New Testament, we read that Jesus healed the sick. He's the ultimate physician. He exercised authority over nature. He is all-powerful. He casts out demons. He breaks the chains of oppression and sin. He raises the dead. He is life itself. And he's the forgiver of sins. And when he says you are forgiven, it means that you are forgiven. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. 
And what we see in the next couple of verses is the introduction to John the Baptist. And again, Mark is straight to the point. We're not given details about John's life, but in verse 4 it says this, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Imagine this. It's the heart of winter. Okay? You are deep in sleep in your comfortable bed. Uh, then suddenly someone bursts through your doors into your room and shouts in your face and tells you to wake up, to get out of bed. And without having time to think, they throw cold water in your face. Well, that's what John the Baptist was like to the Jewish people of his day. So John the Baptist, he bursts onto the scene. And what he's doing is is he's splashing cold water on the faces of these people. He's telling them, get ready. Get ready for the greatest moment in all of history. So he's preaching a message of repentance. He's telling them, stop living in rebellion against God. He's saying it's time to turn around. It's time to go in the right direction. It's time to stop dreaming. It's time to wake up to God's reality. And he's saying this. He's saying, if you've lived life your way, if you made some mistakes, if you've lived dishonestly, if you've lived a life living for the world and putting yourself first and using everyone in your way, John is saying it's time to stop and repent Because someone is coming. Someone is coming very soon. And so John was getting his people ready. It's like if someone came to your home and told you that the president or the king of England was on their way to visit you. You would do all that you could to get your place ready, clean up, get things in order. So John was like that messenger going ahead of royalty. He was getting everywhere ready for the greatest one who was coming, right? Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Verse 9, it says this. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The reason why it's so important to know that Jesus is the Messiah is because it affects you and me. How many of us as children, you know, we secretly long for affirmation from our parents? It's all of us. And you don't have to look far to see families and relationships that break apart because children grow up never hearing their parents say to them, you are my dear child, let alone I'm pleased with you, I'm proud of you. We live in a world where the absence of a father and the life of a child, it has devastating social, psychological, emotional effects. Now, does this mean that if you've grown up with an absent father or an abusive father that that you're stuffed, that there's no way? No. The God that we serve is a redeeming God. He is a God who restores. He is a God who loves us infinitely more than our earthly parents. And that's what we're meant to see from this little moment between God the Father and Jesus the Son. Where God the Father says, you are my child, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And this is what I want you to see. 
when God looks at us and every believing Christian, he says to us what he said to Jesus. He sees us not not as we are in ourselves, not in the ugliness of ourselves, but as we are in Jesus Christ. And it may seem pretty out there and impossible, but the truth is that God looks at us and he says, you are my dear child. I'm delighted with you. Just take a moment just to read that sentence slowly with your name at the start of it. John, you are my dear child. I'm delighted with you. Ray, you are my dear child. I'm delighted with you. Let that sink in. But the reason this is true is because of what Mark has said, that Jesus is the Messiah. Because we have to remember that the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is to lead his people out to freedom, this Messiah, he represents his people. One pastor said this, what is true of him is true of them. What is true of him is true of them. Who is the them? It's us. It's you and me. So whoever's walked in today battling the lies of the enemy, that you are worthless, invaluable, unwanted, ugly, if you've walked in feeling like you're carrying this sense of loneliness or sadness, then may your ears be open. May you understand that God looks at you and says, you are my dear child. I'm delighted with you. And the last question that comes up in Mark 1 is this, why is Jesus here? Why after all these years of people living in the Old Testament, why did Jesus come? And it's this, Jesus came to proclaim the good news of God. Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus tells us that he has come to proclaim the good news of God. Good news is is good news because there is also bad news. And the bad news is that we as human beings, we have chosen to satisfy our own fleshly desires. We've chosen our own ways over God's ways. And the Bible calls that sin. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of sin, we've been in the grips of spiritual death and brokenness in our relationship with God. And now whatever we do, it never satisfies the deep longings of our heart. The brokenness, this brokenness has flowed to every area of life. Just look around. Just look at the world. The world is broken. There's injustice. There's death, divorce, sickness. When we sin and fall into temptation, what's, what's our immediate response? Guilt, remorse, shame. And what do we say? God, I promise I'll never do that again. But what do we do? We go straight back to that sin once that guilt, that feeling of guilt goes away. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our sin is spiritual death. We are guilty of spiritual death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
The good news that Mark is telling us is this, the free gift of God that he offers us is in Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the ruler of God's coming kingdom, has come. The one who possesses the authority and power to deliver us and break the chains of sin is here. The good news is that we have a king who stepped into our mess. He made us whole. And it's this Jesus, the Messiah, who is at the heart of the good news. How did he step into our mess? Jesus humbled himself. He took on the punishment of our sins. And he died on the cross as a substitute for us. He stepped into our place. He died and rose again on the third day. And because of that, those who repent and put their trust in God are completely set free from the bondage of sin. 1 Peter 3.18, it says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. And so if you're, a, if you're a follower of Christ, a believer who has repented, and Jesus is the Lord over your life, and you're here, and every time you stumble or fall into sin, you question whether God truly has forgiven you. The truth of the Word of God tells us that, yes, He has forgiven us. But like every relationship, the more we look to the desires and heart of the other person, person, the more we find ourselves loving what they love and hating what they hate. And so if you're struggling with that, it's a matter of shifting your gaze to Jesus, looking to Him. Verse 15, it says, "Is the time has come, He said. The kingdom of God has come. It has come near. Repent, believe the good news. Jesus says the time has come. The time is now. A couple of years ago, a survey was done on an elderly group of people, ranging from 90 years to 100 years. And in the survey, survey they asked these elderly men and women, what is your greatest regret? And there were so many regrets that they, that they shared. Some being not being careful enough when choosing a life partner, not resolving family issues, putting off saying how you feel, not traveling enough, spending too much time worrying, not being honest, not taking care of your body, and the list goes on and on and on. But it's all summed up in this one sentence, I regret not taking more risks. Have you ever been in a place or situation where you just didn't know what decision you had to make? Maybe you were struggling with which job you had to take or whether you wanted to take a leap of faith and start something new. Or maybe you're struggling to choose between uh, two potential future partners. <laughs> if, that, if that's you, <laughs> if that's you, uh, you need to come and talk to Pastor Steve <laughs> after the service. <laughs> but uh, now I've lost my place. <laughs> You know, the devastating thing would be to take your last breath on earth, um, stand before God, the God of the universe, and say, God, I, I, I regret rejecting you. 
time to repent and turn from our ways and trust in the living God is now. Salvation has come in the person of Jesus. There's an urgency in this because we are living in the last days. I wonder how many of us are here and we've told ourselves, I'll follow God wholeheartedly later when I get my life in order. Or I need to become a better person and then I'll follow God. Or I'll follow God when this resolves or that resolves. Friends, the time is now. If you wait for the right moment, you will never make a decision. And your indecision is still a decision. You may not have another moment like today. And if in your mind, your heart, and your soul, you're feeling a nudge from God, then you need to obey that. And so the choice is yours. You have the choice to believe a new story or not. But if it is true, then by ignoring the news, there are consequences. If the gospel is true, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that Jesus is the king, that he has earned our way to God, it changes everything for us. I love what this one one author says. He says this, Jesus says that to believe the gospel would change us so foundationally that our work, our families, our ambitions, everything would change as well. We cannot simply add this message to the collection of convenient wisdom guiding our lives. When I hit high school in years seven and eight, uh, I'm not proud to share this, and this stays between us. (laughs) But, you know, I had a real foul mouth. Um, Every second sentence was an F-bomb or all the other bombs, you know? (laughs) And and telling people to, like, shut the front door, you know, that was was my big thing. And all that colorful language. Um, But just like what Jesus says that, The gospel changes us foundationally. After I gave my life to Christ, I found that my language slowly started to change. It wasn't instantaneous, but it was God slowly changing everything inside of me because of the gospel. This is why the gospel is powerful. When we truly get the gospel inside of us, we can't help but be changed. Every area of your life changes. There's a story in the first chapter of Mark where Jesus calls his disciples. Right? The disciples are working through the fishy, smelly nets. They're sorting out the fish that they've just caught. Uh, these disciples, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, they've been fishing all their lives, and they've been taught by their dads. And this is a family business. Uh, this has been running for generations and generations. This is how they feed their families. This is how they survive. Jesus is a stranger at this point. He walks into their, uh, their workplace, right? Tells them that they need to leave their family businesses and follow him on the spot. And they do. And the call was this. Leave everything you've known. All your insecurity, your, fa- your, um, your family, your desires, and follow Jesus. For some of us here today, you may not be a Christian, a Christ follower. And maybe for some of us here, 
That's the invitation that Jesus is offering today. Jesus was calling the disciples to trust the good news that God was starting something fresh. And to be a part of that, that to cut loose the ties of their old lives and trust Jesus. You know, it wasn't easy back then and it's not easy today. But it's what Andrew, Peter, James and John did. And it's what we need to do today, tomorrow and in the future. As Christians, we need to continue to choose to cut the lies, to cut the ties of our old lives. And you need to hear this. It's not cutting the ties so that we can live and please God. That's not why we cut the ties. But it's cutting the ties because Jesus has already done everything for us. And so for you today, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, what is it that you need to cut loose of? It may be a damaging relationship. It may be habits that you formed. It may be something in your old life that you keep coming back to. Whatever it is, we can trust that when Jesus calls us, when he calls you, he's not just calling you as a random king, but he's calling you as your king. And when he calls you, you have two options. You can reject the good news, or you can repent and believe. And I promise you that when you follow Jesus, He will fulfill everything you've looked for in life. And His once disruptive command, it now becomes your source of joy. The gospel isn't just good advice, but it's a call to follow your king. I follow this king, Jesus the Messiah. Not because I have to, but because he gives me true meaning and joy. And now the good news is that I don't need to do this or do that and live, but I trust that Christ has already done everything for me. It's that song, yet not I, but Christ in me. Let's close our eyes in prayer.